0: You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is For Such a Time as This, Episode 4, with Daniel Pell. Right. good evening and welcome to another presentation here in our series entitled For Such a Time as This. I'm uh, excited about our topic tonight, which is entitled Faith. That will be remembered. This is actually a two-part series within this larger series and we are going to study together in the book of Romans. I'm very excited about the journey that we're going to embark on together as we are going to take a bird's perspective, so to speak, of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. There are exciting things there for us Um, to learn and explore in our Christian walk. And so before we get into that, I would invite you to bow your heads together with me as we invite the Holy Spirit to be with us on this journey. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come before you this evening. We ask that you will send your Holy Spirit in our midst as we open your word and that you will fulfill your promise that you will guide us into all truth. Please speak through me, Lord, and may this message be made understandable and... Uh, May we be able to apply it Lord in our lives for this we ask in Jesus name. Amen The letter of Paul to the believers in Rome has played an important role in church history throughout the ages Um, It inspired Martin Luther to return to the power of Scripture alone instead of the traditions of man Uh, It has literally turned the religious world upside down throughout the early centuries And it has also played a very important role in the Advent movement. And I believe we would do well to revisit the book of Romans. And so what I would like to do together with you in this uh, two-part series, Faith That Will Be Remembered, is take a bird's perspective, a big uh, picture of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. Some of you will know that the book of Romans has 16 chapters in total. And so we will want to look at the first half of this book, which really brings us step by step through the gospel message and I just want to say right up front here from the beginning that we, of course, are not are we're not going to be able to look into it, the details of every single chapter. We just don't have sufficient time for that. That would, that would take us a long time. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick up some important truths throughout these chapters and see if we can uh, grasp the larger picture of what Paul is trying to communicate to the church and to you and to me personally living today in 2011. Uh, this overall series, as I said earlier, is entitled For Such a Time as This, and I believe that at the very time in which we're living, we need a fuller understanding of the message that of the gospel, the message of the righteousness of God, the character of God revealed in His people. And so I'm excited to start this journey together with you. I hope you have your Bibles with you because you will need it. It's going to be a real Bible study. We're going to go to to various texts in the book of Romans and also outside of the book of Romans as we seek and endeavor to understand this most important book. So take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1 as we begin our journey entitled Faith That Will Be Remembered. Romans chapter 1. And take notice of the opening um, words of Paul as he writes to the church, to the believers in Rome. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul introduces himself in, a, in a quite a startling way. We read the following in chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. As Paul introduces himself to the church, he says he's a servant of Christ and then he adds to that that he has been separated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been separated to the gospel. When you accept the gospel of Jesus, a separation takes place because light cannot dwell with darkness. If we think back on the creation in the book of Genesis, we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. The light was divided from the darkness. When we step into the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, naturally there's a separation that takes place. We are divided from the darkness that envelops this world. And I find it fascinating the way that Paul introduces himself to the believers in Rome. He says, I have been separated unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the very first chapter of Romans, Paul extends that invitation to every single believer of Jesus Christ. You and I are also invited to step into the glorious light of Jesus Christ and to be separated from the things of this world. Probably the most known verses in Romans chapter 1 is verse 16 and 17. And I know that this is just going to resound in your mind. It's going to like echo in your mind because you've heard these verses before. I believe many of you have heard them. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Listen to the words of Paul as he speaks to the believers, as he speaks to you and to me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ... For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And there was reason for Paul to be ashamed. There was reason for him to be ashamed of the gospel because when you really think about what the gospel was, it was the message of a man that came to this world that claimed to be the Messiah and that died on a cross, this ignominious death that he died and rose again from the grave And Paul brings this message of a crucified and risen Savior into the world, into the Gentiles. Now, the Jews as a nation were always kind of despised in the Roman Empire. And so here Paul talks about a Jew, which already was a despised people in those days. And not only does he talk about a Jew, but he talks about a Jew that claimed to be the king of the universe and the Messiah. And this Jew was put to death through this ignominious death of the cross. And so there was reason enough for Paul to be ashamed of the gospel, and yet he was not. He knew that the gospel revealed the righteousness of God. It says in verse 17, For in it, that means in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, the righteousness of God is the character of God. It's the glory of God. And so the glory of God, the character of God is put on display in the gospel. And the gospel, of course, is the person, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ in his life, in his works, in his miracles, in his teachings, in his parables, in all that Jesus did, he is putting on display. He is revealing the glory, the character of God. And that's the gospel. The gospel, if we look at the gospel, we're looking at the character of God. And Paul has been separated to this gospel because when we look at the character of God and we behold it, we become changed. And that change is exactly what Paul is trying to communicate to the believers. It is a change from darkness into light. It is stepping out of the darkness into the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Paul continues here in Romans chapter 1 and what I always like to do when I study the Bible and I teach also at a Bible school uh, back in Norway where my wife and I live. uh, Whenever I teach my students uh, what I like to always reiterate is that whenever you're going to study a passage in the Bible it's always very helpful to take a step back and to try to grasp the larger picture. Um, the Bible itself has this incredible picture, and we talked about a little bit uh, earlier in this series, how we have this Eden to Eden perspective. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have a perfect world and a perfect relationship between God and man. There's no sin, there's no suffering, there's no death, there's no pain. We see the same picture in the last two chapters of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Everything in between is this great controversy, and basically the teachings of Scripture fit within this large context. Now that's a very big picture, but we can minimize that picture and we can take one book in the Bible, let's say the book of Romans or the book of Ephesians or an Old Testament book, the book of Exodus. And we can also create a larger picture, a bigger picture of that book in which various teachings and, and various uh, illustrations fit. And so it's very helpful to, to, to like kind of take that step back. It's like these cameras that are filming uh, right now. They can, pan, they can zoom in or they can pan out. And so what we're talking about here is panning out to get the larger picture of Scripture. Now, when you do that with the book of Romans, and particularly here with what we are studying together, we're going to look at the first eight chapters and try to get the larger picture there, what Paul is doing is he's walking us through the steps of salvation. He's walking us, bringing us from one point to the next point, to the next point, point. Many biblical scholars have observed that that the first chapters of the book of Romans, particularly the first half of the book of Romans, is is, is an incredible structural um, overview of the gospel story. Now, when you look at Romans chapter one, Um, It really deals with the power of God revealed in the gospel, and it also deals with the fact that there is really no excuse. That gospel has been put on display in the life of Jesus Christ, but it has also been put on display in creation. In creation, we see the power of God. In the gospel, we see the power of God, but also in creation, we see the power of God. Now, as I study Romans chapter 1, what I like to do is when I study these various chapters is to kind of sum up um, each chapter in, let's say, a sentence or two. Uh, Even I try usually to just keep it to one sentence. It's very helpful. Uh, As I study Romans chapter 1, the sentence that I uh, wrote down for, for, for my own study, for my personal study, was the following. The power of God is in the gospel and creation, and there's no excuse. Now, your sentence might be different, but the the point here is that you basically um, write down something that sticks in your mind concerning that chapter so that as you study through a certain book in the Bible, you can go back and say, okay, this is a summary of each chapter, and you get the larger picture. It starts coming together. And so Romans chapter 1 Dealing with the power of God in the gospel and in creation leaves us without excuse. Now, we've already looked at the gospel that is put on display there uh, in verse 16 and 17. But look at how Paul transitions and talks about the creation of God. And that through the very creation of God, people are left without excuse regarding the knowledge of God. Take notice of verse 20 verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And as I said earlier, we're really not going to be able to read all the verses in these chapters, but I'm just going to pick out some of these verses. And I hope that even this study will just um, be um, a motivation for you to go back and, and study these chapters and study this book, because it has so much for us as believers living today, living at such a time as this. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal God power and Godhead so that they are what without excuse because although they knew God look at this now because although they knew God so deep in their heart they knew that there was a God They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were what? Were darkened. Remember how the book began? Paul says, I am separated into the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is stepping into the light. These, they, although they knew through creation that there was a God deep inside, they knew that it could not exist just by chance. They decided to remain in darkness it was a decision. It was a decision to remain in darkness. Creation testifies of the power of God. Romans chapter 1 actually leaves very little room for atheism. Deep in the heart of every man is this inner voice that is testifying of a creator. Take notice how it develops here in verse 23, verse 22 rather. Let's pick it up in verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now, they deny giving thanks to the creator and they would rather thank anything from Mother Earth or creeping things like a little fish splashing in a pool of mud, rather give thanks to that than the eternal God, the God of the universe that created that spoke and brought everything into existence. They have exchanged the truth for a lie. Verse 25, it says, Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forevermore? There is no excuse. Deep inside, there's this knowledge that, yes, there is a creator. Deep inside, there is this longing created in the heart of every man that, indeed, there is a God. We talked about this earlier in this series that um, God has placed in every single person this longing for eternity, and, and we try to fill that longing uh, with with all the excitement that this world offers and really deep inside there's still this gap, this void that only God can fill. He's like carved that space out in every human being and only he can really fill that longing. Remember we looked earlier in this series um, at um, Paul preaching in the city of Athens and he points to one of their idols that has the inscription, to the unknown God. And he says, I will proclaim that God to you. This people of Athens, they had all these numerous idols, and, 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 but still there was something missing. And so they erect this idol and they put the inscription right on there, to the unknown God. There was something missing in their experience. And people that do not have Jesus in their hearts, that do not have the gospel in their lives, there is something missing. And they're trying to fill it with all other things, but deep inside they know there's something that only God can fill now in Romans chapter 1 we look at the story of the power of God that is revealed in the gospel and in creation and really there is no excuse deep inside people know that there is indeed a creator I remember a story that a friend of mine told he was on an airplane traveling and as he was traveling, he was going to try to witness to the person sitting beside him. And it was a very, very difficult. And every time he, he opened his mouth and he wanted to say something to that person, the person would, would, would do something uh, that, that, that caused him to not be able to, to speak to, 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 to him. And so at one point he tried to speak to him and he got up and, and went to the, to the restroom. And another time he tried to speak to him and he took out a book and started reading right at the moment that he tried to witness. he thought this is just not working. And so he prayed and he said, Lord, give me an opportunity to witness to this young man and right as he prayed that prayer the engine of the plane had some problems and uh, the uh, over the loudspeaker uh, the pilot was giving information that the engine had caught fire now do you think it was easy for him to witness at that moment oh absolutely he said can we pray together do you think the person said no Now, of course he didn't. They prayed together and the aircraft landed safely and he was able to speak some words of hope into that person's life at that moment. It's interesting when calamity hits, when tragedy hits, how open people are actually to the the knowledge that, yes, there is a God, to the understanding that, yes, there is something when we are out of control we want to take hold of something that is in control and God is ultimately in control of this universe. I shared earlier how in the beginning of this year I was invited to New Zealand which is basically my home country where I was born and I was going to preach um, a series of, of lectures there in Christchurch and for those of you that have followed along with the news earlier this year you will know that there was a devastating earthquake there in February. Well, we just came right after that earthquake, and we had planned this series of lectures. And of course, everything changed, and, and we had to rebook the hall because the hall was was occupied by the civil defense at that time. And but I just remember working in the aftermath of that devastating earthquake, and how people were so hungry for truth. They were so open for. Um, certainty that God's word provides because all other certainties of this world had suddenly been shaken. And it's interesting to see how that works in the minds of people. God is the certainty that we can build our lives on. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, build your house upon the rock, and he himself is that rock. The certainty of our lives is based on Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. Everything else is is shaky in the times in which we're living. I When I was spending some months there in New Zealand, we had a lot of aftershocks. And and, and I remember even one time waking up early in the morning at 3 o'clock and the house was shaking. So, you know, I, I know what it's like to experience an earthquake. Everything shakes, but there are many kinds of earthquakes that we're experiencing nowadays. There are earthquakes in the financial world. There are earthquakes in marriages. There are earthquakes in families. There are earthquakes uh, in so many different areas of our lives that is just being shaken apart, and the only real certainty that we can come back to is rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Amen? It's rooted and grounded in the Word of God. I'm seeing more and more clear as I travel and, and, and minister that this is really the only source of strength and certainty that we can come back to time and time again, and that never lets us down. And so Romans chapter one, we have this powerful, beautiful introduction that God indeed has put himself on display. God is not somewhere uh, in the corner of the universe, disinterested in humanity. God has put himself on display first and foremost in the gospel, which is the light that is to call us out of the darkness. And secondarily in creation, as we look in creation, we see the power of God. And because of the revelation of God in creation and in the gospel, We are left without excuse. Now, let's move on to Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, basically the the chapter, uh, I summed it up in this way, and it's not very hard to sum up chapter 2 because it's very basic, very straightforward language, and that is the guiltiness of all mankind, the guiltiness of all mankind. The second chapter sets out to show that we are all under the judgment of God. There is no excuse in not knowing Him, but there is also no excuse concerning our guilt before Him. Now, you know, you could get a little bit disheartened or, or a little bit, you know, uh, taken back when you read Romans chapter 2, but it's a very important chapter because the good news of the gospel is only as good as the bad news is bad. Just think about it for a moment. Let me give you a little illustration here. If you were going to the beach one day and you stepped into the in, in, into the sea and you were just like, you know, up into the water till your knees and someone ran out up to you and would pull you out of the water and said, I saved you. What would you say to that person? I mean, you're crazy. You didn't save me. I was doing fine. There was nothing going on. I, I was just enjoying myself. You know, you will not... Um, you will not respond you know, to that salvation. You will not um, appreciate that, that, that person. But another scenario, if you went out swimming into the, into the ocean and you find yourself drifting away from the shore and you can't get back, and then you see you know, some sharks swimming towards you, and a boat comes by and picks you up out of the water, and they say, we saved you, oh, definitely, you will appreciate that. It's a total different scenario. And so in order for the good news to be good, we must understand the bad condition that we are in without Christ. And so Romans chapter 2 sets out to explain the real condition of man. And it's not some kind of condition where Paul is holding back in his language. As a matter of fact, he's giving it straightforward. This is what we are without Jesus. Now take notice of the language here. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. Listen to the words of Paul. He says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Now, the Jews believed that they were above reproach and better than the Gentiles. Paul makes it very clear here in Romans chapter 2 that we are all on the same level here. As a matter of fact, if you drop down to verse 11 in the same chapter, Romans chapter 2 verse 11, Paul says, For there is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. This chapter makes it crystal clear that the professed believers were really just as unconverted as the Gentiles. They believed that they were superior because they were sons and daughters of Abraham. The Jews, they prided themselves that they were better than the Gentiles because of their blood lineage. And yet Paul is saying, don't boast. There's no partiality with God. We are all in need of the favor of God. We are all in need of the transforming power of God. He goes on there in Romans chapter 2, if you drop down to verse 17, look at this uh, evaluation of man according to Paul as he is led by the Holy Spirit in writing to the believers here. He says... Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do not teach, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you not steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you not commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Look at verse 23. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You see what Paul is doing here is he's making it very plain that those that thought they were superior, the Jews thought they were superior to the Gentiles are really just in the very same deplorable condition as the Gentiles. They were supposed to be the nation that would be a light to the nations around them and yet Paul makes it very clear that they needed the grace of God just as much as the Gentiles. If you go on in this chapter, Romans chapter 2, look at, what it, look at how it develops here in the last verses. Verse 25, it says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So Paul is really addressing what the issue is all about. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? See, it's not about, it's, not, it, it's really about what happens in the heart. It's about a total transformation here of the inner life and Romans chapter 2 makes it very clear that without Christ, we are in a very deplorable condition. You know, we can take this chapter that is talking particularly to the Jews that thought they were superior to the Gentiles, and we can apply it in the church today. The churches, many Christians, they think they are superior to those that do not profess Christianity. And yet, when we look and we survey the Christian church today, the, you know, the evaluation that I believe is the true evaluation as we even look in the book of revelation and the, the 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 letters there to the churches and you look at the final letter the letter to laodicea the evaluation is clear they think they are okay but they are wretched miserable poor blind and naked that's the evaluation of god we looked at that uh, letter earlier the letter to the laodicean church in revelation chapter 11 the evaluation of god is that we are in a deplorable condition both jew and gentile both spiritual Jew. And gentile today. And so as we look at Romans chapter 1, it puts on display the character of God through the gospel and creation. In chapter 2, we see the deplorable condition of man without Jesus, but praise God we're not left in that condition. The book continues, and in chapter 3, look at look at how Paul develops this theme further. First in the first part of chapter 3, he stresses even stronger how all have sinned and all need the righteousness of God which comes through faith alone look at verse 9 in chapter 3 romans chapter 3 and verse 9 what then are we better than they not at all for we have previously charged both jews and greeks that they are all under sin verse 10 as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have become be, they have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and, they, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." This is the evaluation my friends and if you survey the Christian church today and you look at sins that are committed in the world and sins that are committed in the church it's very fast becoming the same and so that which should be distinct and separated is no longer distinct and separated and Romans is such an applicable book for the very days in which we are living, we are seeing these things before our very eyes. Those that claim to be spiritual Jews are falling in the, for the very same temptations, are living the very same lives of, the, of uh, as those that they are supposed to be a light for, because there is no separation anymore. There's not the separation from darkness to light, and so the church is enveloped in darkness. And yet the invitation of the book of Romans and the invitation of Jesus Christ to the church corporately and to each of us individually is to step out of that darkness and come into the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the character of God. It is beholding the character of God. And by beholding, the word of God promises us us that we will be changed. We will be changed. Take notice in Romans chapter 3, it's not all bad news here, but Paul transitions and gives us the solution to the problem. Romans chapter 3, and we drop down here to verse 21, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So the righteousness of God, going back to chapter 1, remember that verse, the righteousness of God was put on display in the gospel, and here the righteousness of God is put on display in Jesus Christ, which is of course the same thing, but then Paul adds something to it there in verse 22, he says, to all and on all who believe. So we have an addition here, not only is the righteousness of God, the character of God displayed in the gospel, and not only is it displayed in creation, but God also wants to put it on display in the lives of the believers. In the lives of those that prior to this experience were deplorable, prior to this experience they were misery, the the condition of Romans chapter 2 is really nothing that we can boast of, and yet... IN THAT VERY WEAKNESS, WHEN WE TURN TO CHRIST IN OUR HELPLESS CONDITION AND WE CLING TO THE CROSS OF JESUS CHRIST, HE HAS PROMISED TO breathe INTO OUR LIVES HIS HOLY SPIRIT AND TO GIVE US THE STRENGTH TO RAISE UP WITH THE POWER OF JESUS CHRIST WORKING IN US AND WE WILL, THROUGH THE POWER OF JESUS, PUT THE GLORY OF GOD ON DISPLAY. THAT'S THE PROMISE OF ROMANS CHAPTER 3, THE PROMISE THAT IF WE... Come to Him in faith that that righteousness of God, that character of God, will be revealed in those that have that faith. If you go to Romans chapter 4, we have a living illustration, a living example of what it means to live that life of faith see romans chapter one says okay the gospel is put on display in creation it's put on display in the gospel it's put on display in the person of jesus christ chapter two says we're all in this deplorable condition without jesus chapter three tells us how we can come in christ and chapter four praise god we have a living example of a man that stepped into that experience and that's the man abraham the story of abraham and take notice in romans chapter 4 and verse 1 how paul explains and, and, and how he brings us to that experience of Abraham, and encourages us to step into an experience like the story of Abraham, Romans chapter four, beginning in verse one. What then shall we say that Abram, our father, was found according to the flesh? For if Abram was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was what? accounted to him for righteousness. Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 4, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So the experience of Abraham is an example of justification by faith. He was justified, he was pronounced righteous because he had faith in the promise of God. He had faith that the word of God was true, that the word of God would come to pass in his life. Now, when you read about Abraham here in the book of Romans, it puts Abraham in a very good light. As a matter of fact, if you drop down in Romans chapter 4 and you look at verse 17, look at the way Paul explains the story of Abraham. In verse 17, it says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, talking about Abram, in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Of course, we remember the story of how uh, Abraham received the promise that he would have a son and he was, uh, he was of old age and so was his wife Sarah of old age. Uh, and yet here we have the story of how he ultimately came to the point that he believed that promise of God and that promise was um, realized. Now look at, verse eight, look at verse 19 in Romans chapter 4 as Paul explains about this story of Abraham. It says, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God, verse 20, through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, my friends, I don't know about you, but when I read this explanation of Abram's faith, I'm thinking to myself that I remember a different story in the book of Genesis. How, about you can res- how many of you can resonate with that? You read about how Paul is explaining the faith of Abram, and I'm thinking to myself, he did waver. He did, at one point, disbelieve the promise of God. As a matter of fact, he laughed at God when God said that he could have a son. And here in Romans chapter 4, It says he was not weak in the faith. In in verse 20, it says he did not waver at the promise of God. In verse 21, it says he was fully convinced. Really? Was he fully convinced? When I think of the story of Genesis, I remember how he wavered at the promise of God. I remember how he laughed at God. And yet God decides to remember the part of the story in which Abram expressed faith in God's word alone. As a matter of fact, there's an entire chapter in the New Testament of men and women that put their faith in God's promise alone. Do you know that chapter? It's Hebrews chapter 11. Turn with me for a moment to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll come back to Romans in just a moment, but turn to Hebrews chapter 11. It's the, it's the chapter of faith, and we entitled this presentation tonight, Faith That Will Be remember. Remembered. What kind of faith does God Remember? In Hebrews chapter 11, we have the record of, of men and women that had faith in the promises of God and that lost faith in themselves and their own ability to accomplish, and so they trusted in God and God alone, and God worked miracles in their lives. I want you to take notice of some of the characters that are mentioned in, Roman, uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and let's first go to Sarah, which was the wife of Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11, look what it says about Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful. And yet it was Sarah that doubted that promise at one point. Both Sarah and Abram had to really learn the hard way. But they came to a point that they no longer trusted in themselves and they trusted fully in the promises of God. They were fully convinced that what God had promised he could also perform. And it was at that point that God takes that faith and he remembers that faith. There could have been a very different story in Romans chapter 4. There could have been a very different story in Hebrews chapter 11 about how Sarah laughed at God, about how Abram wavered at the promise of God, and yet what is remembered? Their faith is remembered my friends let me assure you tonight that when you put your faith in jesus christ and in his word alone god is going to decide to remember that part of your story amen he will remember that part of the story look here in 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 hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 and 32. look at some of the individuals that are mentioned in this chapter chapter 31 uh, chapter 11 verse 31 and 32 By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and samson and jephthah also of david and samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong became valiant in battle turned to flight the armies of the aliens women received their dead raised to life again others were tortured not accepting deliverance but they that they might obtain a better resurrection. Powerful what these men and women experienced. Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David. If you remember their stories, you remember the story of Samson? You remember the story of David? Remember the story of Rahab? I mean, these individuals in the Old Testament, we have stories of them. We know about their lives. We know about their weaknesses. We know about their frailties. We know about their sins. And yet they came to a point in their lives that they no longer had faith in their own strength to accomplish that which God had required. And so they fully were dependable on the promises of God. They fully surrendered themselves to God's word and God's word alone. They built their lives upon the promises of God and nothing else. And that is the part that God remembers. I believe that Hebrews chapter 11, I, I mentioned earlier uh, today that the book of Acts is an unfinished story, that I, I believe that the book of Acts, we have in the Bible um, uh, 28 chapters, and yet I believe that there are many more chapters that are being written in heaven about the story of the believers. But just like the book of Acts, I believe, is an, is an unfinished story and it's still being written in heaven, so I believe that Hebrews chapter 11 is an unfinished chapter. I believe that God wants to add your name and my name to that story. He wants us to be mentioned in the list of the heroes of faith, the heroes of the cross. And how can we be listed in that, in that Hebrews 11 story? It is by coming to the point that we no longer believe in ourselves and our own uh, accomplishments and our own ability to bring to pass the promises of God, but we ber- believe solely on God's word and his promise in our lives. God said to Abram, you're going to have a child. And Abram said, yeah, sure, I'm going to have a child. I'll help you, God. Mm-hmm. And so what did he do? He said he went to, to, to Hagar, the, the, his servant, and had a child with her, Ishmael. We know the problems that came out of that. I mean, here Abram was going to do it himself. Yes, God, you gave the promise, and God's word was going to come to pass. He believed that, but he would help God to bring it to pass. And my friends, he utterly failed. We know the the sorrow and pain and struggles and everything that came out of that. He had to come to the point, like we all have to come to the point, where we only believe in the word of God and that the word of God has the power to perform that which it promises in our life and not our own strength. That we come to believe in the word of God alone. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 8. 8. There is a story in Matthew chapter 8 of a man that came to that very point and Jesus pronounces a blessing upon this individual. Matthew chapter 8 and it's the story of the centurion and he had a servant that was sick. And we pick it up in verse 5, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. The Bible says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now look at the answer of the centurion in verse 8. It's incredible. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Now, look at verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, if the son of God, the king of the universe is marveled and amazed, there must be something quite radical here. The son of God, the creator of the universe that upholds and sustains everything in life is amazed and marveled at the faith of a centurion because he says that he believes in the word of God alone. My friends, if we want to have a faith that will be remembered, if we want to have a faith that will be added to to Hebrews chapter 11, it is a faith that does not believe in anything that we can perform, but it believes in the promise of God performed in our lives. It's the promise of God realized in our experience. It's the word of God that we need to trust and believe and build our lives on, not adding our own works to it, but believing that the works of God can be fully performed in us by faith. That's a faith that will be remembered. Let's go back to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, and take notice of Paul as he explains the experience of Abraham. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, a scripture from the Old Testament is quoted. It says in verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then Paul adds to that in verse 4. He says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So it's faith in God's promise that... That, 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 that justified Abraham, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now that verse in um, the Old Testament is taken from Genesis chapter 15 and verse six. Why don't we turn there real quickly? You can keep your finger in the book of Romans and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 15, where the promise was given to Abram regarding uh, him having a son and in the in, in that chapter, Genesis chapter fifteen and verse six, the Bible says the following, and he referring to Abram believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. so the fact that Abram believed that he ha- would have a son was accounted to him for righteousness, and so this scripture here in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, Paul takes that scripture and puts it in the context of Abram being, uh, being uh, righteous, Abram being accounted as righteous before God because of that promise that he believed. Now, very interesting. When you go on in the New Testament and you come to the book of James, James quotes the very same passage from the Old Testament, uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, but he puts it in a little bit of a different context. And I want to compare this uh, with you here. So turn with you in your Bible, with me in your Bibles to the book of James, that's right after the book of Hebrews, and turn to James chapter 2 and look at verse 21 to 23. James chapter 2, verse 21 to 23. Very fascinating how Paul uses this verse and how James uses this verse in a different way, and yet I believe that looking closely at it, you will find it is a beautiful harmony. There's beautiful harmony here. Uh, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. Listen to what the Bible says Was not Abram our father justified by works? Hmm. Wait a minute. Wasn't Paul talking about faith? What does it say? Was not Abram our father justified by works when he offered Isaac a son on the altar? Do you not see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And then in order to, to, to underbuild, to build up his case here, he quotes the very same scripture as Paul used in Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 23. He quotes Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Verse 23, it says, And scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Isn't that interesting? Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abram is accounted righteous before God because he believed in the promise. Uh, Paul takes that passage in the context of faith and faith alone, faith in the promise of God. And then James takes the same verse in a different context and he talks about works. Now, is there some contradiction here? I don't believe it's a contradiction. I believe there's perfect harmony between these two texts. Think about it for a moment. Our faith in God's promise alone will result in the works of God put on display in our lives. Think of the centurion that came to Jesus. What did he say? He says, speak thy word only and my, and my servant will be healed. And he put his faith in the word of jesus in the words of god and because he put his faith in the words of god in the words of jesus his servant was healed but it was also resulting in a faith that followed jesus and of course his life was changed his wife was not was different from that day forward he became a solid disciple of jesus he uh, his experience from that day was never the same again You see, when we come to Christ, when we enter into that experience, look at the lives of those in Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab, she did not remain a harlot. David, David repented when he sinned and he became, he became a man after God's own heart. Not while he was living in sin, but because he made that step to believe the word of God and the word of God alone. What about, and and all the individuals that are mentioned there in the book of Hebrews and all the individuals that we encounter throughout scripture, they place their faith in God's word and God's word alone and they uh, realize their own weaknesses and their own frailties and so they put their trust in God's strength but that resulted in the strength of God being made manifest in their lives. And so there's absolute no contradiction between Romans chapter 4 and James chapter 2 but it is, it is highlighting it from a different angle. You see, Paul, uh, Paul makes it clear, we are declared righteous by faith and faith alone, and that's absolutely true. We cannot add anything to the salvation of God, and yet when we have faith in Him and Him alone, His works and only His works will be manifest in our lives. Amen? So it's perfect harmony between these passages. As a matter of fact, if you look at the example of Abraham and which is really an example that is highlighted there in Romans chapter 4. You go back and you look at the story of Abram's life. It is such an inspiring story to the believer today. Abram put his faith in God. He had to learn it the hard way. First First, he put his faith in himself. He said, okay, God, you promised me a child. Okay, I will help you. And so he thought that he had something to do there, and ultimately that failed, and he came to the point that he believed fully in the promise of God, and then God started working in his life. There were works, but their works were not his own. They were the works of God, and that's the difference. The question is, what kind of works are manifested in our lives? Is it our own works to add to the promise of God, to make it happen, or is it the works of God alone manifest in our lives? I believe if we, as we look at um, Romans, the book of Romans, and we survey the first four chapters, and we look at the steps that lead to salvation, the steps that lead to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, it is clearly revealed that the story of, of Abram has so much to provide for us today. It is, it is put on display what God wants each of us to experience. And isn't it interesting that Paul uses the illustration of Abraham because Abraham had to learn the hard way and if we're honest with ourselves we are learning the hard way too I don't know about you, but I can speak about my own experience. And I know how many times have I tried to fulfill the promises of God in my own strength? How many times have I, have I believed the promises? Oh, I don't doubt the promises. And I don't believe that you doubt the promises, but we want to add something to it. We want to, uh, we want to have part in this. But my friends, we have no part in it. It's all of God and nothing of man. And that's the message of the the book of Romans. This is the message of Romans chapter 4. There is no part for us to play but to submit to the plan of God so the works of God will be manifest in us. That's our part. We do not add our works, but it's God's works manifest in our lives. And you look at the life of Abraham it's such an inspiration to see how he had to come to that moment of brokenness. He came to that moment that he distrusted himself And fully trusted in the promise of God manifest in his life. And you remember the the story of of how God asked him to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac. You read about it in Genesis chapter 22. An amazing story. Why don't we just visit that story for a moment tonight? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. The story of Abram's faith in a God who provides. Genesis chapter 22. And verse one, the Bible says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abram, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this was at a later point in the life of Abram. He would already gone through this whole scenario with, with Ishmael and with the promise of a son and, 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 and him trying to, to, to help God and then being utterly disappointed and then, and then placing his full trust in God and God's works alone and God's works were manifested in him and he did have that son of promise. He did have Isaac and Isaac now has grown up and now Abram is an old man and now another test comes upon Abram. And in this test, as Abram is asked to sacrifice his son, his son, Isaac, this time he has the experience of what it is to walk with God. And he implicitly obeys the word of God and puts his full trust in the word of God and the word of God alone. Many people have wondered about this story in Genesis chapter 22. How could God ask such a thing from Abraham? How could it be? You know, we know from many other passages in Scripture that God had no pleasure in human sacrifices. As a matter of fact, that was something that God detested. It was abominable in His sight. There are places in the book of Deuteronomy where where God tells the people of Israel not to walk after the nations around them that were bringing human sacrifices. And so the whole story here of Genesis chapter 22 is really a story of God revealing that he is the one that supplies the sacrifice, that he is the one in whom we can have fully trust, that we can fully trust and place our faith in. You know, when you look at the story of Genesis chapter 22, God is really setting himself aside from all the other gods and goddesses that the nations around Abraham worshipped. They would worship these gods and they believed that uh, human sacrifices could please those gods. Now, just think about what a picture of God that really is. Those nations, they believed that, for, for example, if it hadn't rained for many months, they believed that the God of the rain was angry. And so to satisfy that God, to please that God, they would bring sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And if it really wouldn't rain for a long time, they thought that the God was so angry that they had to sacrifice their very own sons and daughters. And so the Bible says they caused them to, to pass through the fire. Can you imagine what a, what a concept and picture of God the nations had? And then Abram is asked to do the same. Now, is God trying to say that he's like the other gods? No, in the story of Genesis chapter two, God is gonna show how distinctly different he is from all those other gods. And he does that in the context of asking Abram to do the very same thing as the gods around him of those nations required. But then bringing him to the point of revelation when when he was on the top of that Mount Moriah, that he is a different kind of God. This God that Abraham served does not require a sacrifice of a human being, but he gives a sacrifice. This is a total different God. This is a God that supplies the needs of man. This is a God that gives his only begotten son for the human race. This is a God that does not require human sacrifice. This is a God that gives his own son as a sacrifice. You see, the the gods that the nations around Abraham worshipped, these were gods that were angry. These were gods that had to be pleased. You know, when, when you think about the picture of human sacrifices that were brought, it is really a picture of appeasing an angry God. And by the way, that kind of concept, that kind of worldview has slipped into Christianity. And we many times think of God as an angry God that needs to be appeased and that the wrath of God is appeased through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. My friends, we have to be careful with that picture. What happened on the cross was just as much a sacrifice for God than it was a sacrifice of the Son. Are you with me? It was just as much. It was a revelation of the love of God. You see, we have this pagan picture that has slipped into Christianity where we have the angry God, the sinner, and between the sinner and the angry God is the the sacrifice. That's paganism. Now, in Christianity, the picture is so so much more beautiful. It's so much more meaningful because God himself is giving the sacrifice. As a matter of fact, there's a passage that I just love in this context. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. And the way that Paul explains it here in 2 Corinthians is is so meaningful. It it, it adds so much substance to the gospel message. Look at 2 Corinthians um, chapter... 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now there's a word that is continually repeating in this passage and that is the word reconciliation. It's like becoming one, it's a unity now god it says was in christ reconciling the world to himself verse 19 it says that is that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself through jesus christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation god was in christ it's very clear there is this this is what we call the two atonement view it's the sinner and the atonement it is god in christ reconciling it's not the pagan view of an angry god and the sinner and some sacrifice in between god and christ were one in reconciling the world this is this is a powerful picture of the love of god put on display he puts his love on display in the cross of calvary my friends as we look at the story of genesis 22. Remember Abram, he takes his son Isaac and they walk up that hill, there the hill of Moriah, which is by the way the very same place where later the temple was built on that very spot on Mount Moriah. And as they are climbing up that hill in Genesis chapter 22, Isaac asks a question to his father which is a a powerful question, an interesting question. Look at Genesis chapter 22 and the the question that Isaac asks in verse 7 and 8. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 7 and 8. But Isaac spoke to Abram his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abram said, My son, God will provide. Now, look at the faith of Abram. God will provide. God will provide. You see, they had, they had the, all the, the, the things that were needed to bring a sacrifice, but uh, there was one thing missing, and that was the sacrifice itself. Mm-hmm. Abram says, God will provide. Now, remember, when the promise was given, Abram, you're going to have a son. Abram said, yes, okay, God, I'm going to have a son, but I'll help you. I'll provide, right? I, I will provide. And so he had a son with Hagar. Now, uh, through this difficult experience, uh, Abram later in his life comes to the point that God tests him again and says, you know, sacrifice your son. Abram now puts his full faith in God and God alone. And when his son asks him the question, where is the lamb? Abram answers and he says, God will provide. My friends, that's the faith that we need. God will provide. God will do it. I don't know how he's going to do it. When I think about perfection, when I think about the image of God being formed in man, when I think about the righteousness of God put on display in an end time generation, I'm thinking to myself, how can this possibly happen in the weakest of the weak of the generations? And yet we have to answer like Abraham, God will provide, amen? We put our faith in God and God alone. How he's going to do it, I don't know. But God is going to do it, and I place my faith in him, and I believe what I can do in my own strength, he will perform through me when I put my faith in him. It's not my works, but his works. God will provide. It's fascinating that when Isaac asks that question, where is the lamb? In the English Bible, it's the first place where the word lamb appears. Where is the lamb? It's a question. Do you know that the first place in the New Testament where the word lamb is used? It's the answer to this question. When Jesus came walking to on the banks of the River Jordan, John the Baptist points to Jesus as the Messiah and says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. First appearance of the word lamb in the New Testament. First appearance of the word lamb in the Old Testament is a question where is the Lamb? The answer is given by John the Baptist it's the Messiah Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb. God will provide. They come to the top of Mount Moriah and God fulfills His promise right there. God provides the sacrifice. God provided the ram, which of course pointed forward to the Messiah. God provided the sacrifice. God will provide for your life. God will provide for me. He will provide for you. He will provide for us the strength to fulfill the promise of God, to reveal the righteousness of God in our lives. My friends, as we have just gone over some of these texts this evening in the book of Romans. I pray that it may be an inspiration to each one of us to not live our lives to ourselves, but live our lives to the glory of God. In the book of Romans, we have a powerful display of what God wants to do in our lives. In chapter 1, God says there is no excuse. God is put on display in the gospel. He's put on display in creation. There is no excuse in Romans chapter 2. The deplorable condition of man is described. We We are wretched without Jesus. The good news is only as good as the bad news is bad. But then in Romans chapter three, Paul transitions to the solution. When we have faith in Jesus, he will do a work in us that we cannot do for ourselves. And then in Romans chapter four, we have a living example in flesh and blood. And that is the example of Abram. Oh yes, Abram struggled. Oh yes, Abram was disappointed. Oh yes, Abram came to points where he realized that he could not do it in his own strength. But he came to the point that he had a faith that God decided to remember. And that is the kind of faith That he wants us to experience faith that will be remembered so that your story and my story can be added to hebrews chapter 11. how many of you want your story added to the to the heroes of faith amen you want to place your faith in jesus and jesus christ alone praise the lord let's pray together in closing Father in heaven, we want to thank you for being with us tonight. We want to thank you for the incredible gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he means to us. Lord, there are so many moments in our human experience that we have tried and tried and tried again to do that which you have promised, and we try it in our own strength. And Lord, we come to the moment, like Abram, that we understand, Lord, that there's nothing good in us. And there is no righteousness in us aside from your righteousness lord we come to the moment that we believe in your word and your word alone and that is the very moment that you want to bring us to father i pray that like abram we may put our faith in you and you alone and that we may understand that you are the one that provide that you are the one that has begun and work in us and that you will also bring it to completion Thank you so much for being with us during our first part of this study of the book of Romans. We pray that you'll continue to be with us as we we, um, uh, continue the study tomorrow. Thank you so much, Lord. Bless and keep us now as we leave this place, and may your spirit rest upon us. For this we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit amazingdiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.